Hello and welcome to People Places Power with me, Nick Cull. And with me, Simon Anhold. In today's episode, we're going to talk about one of the strongest national images out there, and that is the image of Canada. Now, when I uh, looked at the most recent uh, version of the Nation Brands Index, Simon, I thought that the success of Canada was one of the strongest findings that you you turned up. It's number three overall. Mm -hmm. It is number one in terms of people Mm -hmm. and investments and in terms of governance. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty good showing. What, What did you see when you looked at that Canadian showing this year? Well, first of all, I have to admit, I didn't even bother to look because I knew it would be exactly the same as it has been every year since 2005. And as I've repeated frequently on the show, um, that's true for for most countries. Canada is more stable than most. And that's because it's a country that most people don't think very much about. That awful word brand that keeps on cropping up in this context is a particularly suitable one in the case of Canada, in the sense that Canada's image is a a simple stereotype, a childish reduction of the reality of the country, which is distorted in many ways, out of date in many other ways, and generally stable and unquestioned. So we know where Canada is going to rank every year, barring some extraordinary event or other. The reasons why it ranks so high are are many and varied, but in many ways, it's a typical example of a modern country in that sense, the kinds of countries that people admire these days. In other words, perhaps most significantly, the victims of other countries' colonial ambitions rather than the perpetrator of them. Um, These days, countries, uh, people around the world don't admire necessarily powerful dominant countries. They tend to admire the countries that that survive the dominance of others. The point about Canada, however, the main point about it is that people really only know one thing about it, and that is that it's not American. And so it functions as a kind of useful foil in the global imaginarium for the country that's not America. And we see over and over again that when America, usually as the result of whichever president is in the White House, is regarded as being uh, particularly illiberal, then Canada tends to rise somewhat in the index. When we have a popular American president in the White House, uh, Canada sort of loses its purpose. And people really don't know why it's there anymore because it's not a foil to America if America's being nice. So as I've often said over the years, Canada and the United States on the Nation Brands Index are like two kids on a seesaw. You've got the fat kid called America on one end. um, (laughs) And and when he goes down, Canada goes up. Right. And when he goes up, Canada goes down. But there are elements of associated with Canada that, are strong in their own right. So mm. I think we can talk about admiration of um, Toronto, mm-hmm. Montreal, maybe uh, Vancouver, uh, as as being places that people are interested are interested in. And do do you think those contribute to the overall image of of Canada? Are they are uninformed audiences? Do they understand that they're not in the United States, or how does that work? Many do know that those are Canadian cities. I have no doubt. But the interesting thing about Canada is how detached the perception of the cities is from the overall perception of the country. Right. One of the things we've found over the years is that we have to prompt people in order to remind them that Canada is a country that contains some very large cities. 
and that's interesting because yeah, that it, is interesting. It's, one of the, it's one of the ways in which uh, Canada's international image is really a quite significant distortion of the reality. It seems to be associated in most people's minds with an entirely rural country. And that's part of the reason why uh, it also um, suffers some positive distortion when it comes to the perception of its environmental contributions. Mm -hmm. The way it works is like this. If you, if you ask people around the world, does country X, in your opinion, contribute to tackling climate change? Canada is regularly one of the countries that ranks very, very high on that. Now, right. if you compare that to its performance in the, for example, the climate category of the Good Country Index, which, right. to remind our listeners, measures performance, reality, it doesn't measure perceptions, you'll find that there's a gigantic gap. So Canada's CO2 emissions, which are very high, place it actually near the bottom of the 50 countries in the, that are included in the Nation Brands Index in terms of its actual emissions. But the perception is that it's very near the top. Now, why is that big? Is there that huge difference between the perception and the reality? Why, why do people think that it's so much greener than it really is? And if you, if you poke around a bit, what you discover is because people perceive it as being fundamentally rural. And when you ask them to describe Canada, the, po the picture postcard they'll, they'll describe for you is basically uh, mountains with conifers and snow and, and, mm -hmm. and mounties riding around. Now, <laughs> such is the, the superficiality of the way that we think about other countries that immediately appears to create a connection in their minds with, uh, with, with nature and therefore protecting nature. It's very green because it's got conifers. It's very white because it's got snow. Green and white means purity. So therefore, also bearing in mind, it's the opposite of America, which is a big fat bully and therefore a polluter. Canada must be very green, very sustainable, very clean. And they've forgotten about nine important things there. They've forgotten that it has a large number of extremely uh, significant cities, which of course pollute. They've forgotten the Alberta tar sands, and uh, they've forgotten a whole load of other things as well. So, so Canada is a country, the Canadian government often comes back to this discourse about its image. It worries about its image, as most, as most countries do. And what I always feel like saying to the Canadians is they should be careful what they wish for, because in many, in many respects, their image is actually much better than they deserve. And um, a country's image is a little bit like a backup diesel generator outside the building, the goodwill that's felt towards that country, and it'll keep the lights on if you have a temporary issue. I think Canada has been running on its backup generator in terms of its goodwill around the world, not in every area, for mm -hmm. heaven's sake, but in some areas for quite some time. Mm -hmm. But if, if we look at the, at the good country index, things that Canadians think that they're good at like their, their contribution to international peace and security, which historically has been very strong. This was the first country to deploy blue helmets back in 1956. Uh, so Canada is identified with the UN peacekeeping system with contributions to the UN. But right now they're, they're 18th in terms of their contribution to world order. They're 11th, which isn't great. Prosperity and equality, they're 21st. Yes. So uh, I think that they have a reputation for being a much more equitable society than they really are. Science and technology, uh, they're 28th. And that is really, uh, they've really let it slip, I think. Uh, health is, is pretty good. They're 8th they're in terms of health. 
But, you know, with, with culture at number 14, planet and climate at 11, you know, <laughs> the, the reality does not justify being the third strongest uh, image in the world. Yeah. That looks like a very, very overvalued, if we were looking at a stock, we'd say, you know, this, this has been overvalued. But what comes out of this for me is a point you've made in the past, which is that the image that we, we find in surveys and so forth is an image that is built up over time. And what people talk about, what people think about is the way a country really was 20, even 30 years previously. So in the case of Canada, there was 10 years of government by Stephen Harper, where he pursued a pretty anti-global uh, foreign policy, uh, very much in favor of the extractive industries, really not the kind of good citizen Canada uh, policies that the world was used to, and the world did not notice. So it was possible for Justin Trudeau to come back and, and through, I think, some important policies, but also some very well-recognized symbolic gestures, reaffirm the Canada we were used to um, from the, the past and resume that kind of trajectory of coasting on the, the old image. And, uh, but, but how long can Canada do that? You know, you're saying they're running on the backup generator. Yeah. Is the secret of Canada's apparent perceived success right now that other places have better known flaws? I mean, I guess the, the third spot comes from the drop of, of France, yes. for example. Yes. Well, who knows, Nick? I mean, these things are very, very, very hard to predict. You know, Simon, that's why. That's why. No, I only know afterwards. Um, I never know before because the, the, there's, some, there's some very, very difficult uh, chemistry here, which is almost imponderable. Is people's desire to continue to admire Canada strong enough for them to completely overlook the, the Harper phase? Or are we just going to see more delay? And at a certain point in the future, when perception begins to catch up, do we then suddenly find that Canada's image dips and that's Canada paying the penalty for having um, an illiberal leader all those years before? We just don't know. My suspicion is that Canada is such, and I'm sure my Canadian friends will forgive me for saying this, such a marginal player in world affairs that actually its image is really the biggest thing about it. And I suspect that there's a very good chance that the image will prevail, which is just another way of saying that Canada can get away with murder. You mentioned the blue helmets. It was actually very amusing because during the Harper premiership, when um, the Harper government actually sent combat troops to Afghanistan, when I uh, was doing qualitative research around the world about people's perceptions of Canada at that point, and I prompted them with the presence of Canadian soldiers fighting in Afghanistan. They said, oh, yes, good old Canada peacekeeping as usual. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you see that in, in a sense, people, the general public will work quite hard to force the reality into the perception that they desire, especially with countries like Canada that they want to like. Countries like Canada are very important for people's worldview. It's very important to them that there are countries like this that support multilateralism, that do the right thing, that care about others, that care about the climate. And they're even prepared to lie to themselves or overlook the truth if they can preserve that feeling uh, that there's a reassuring country there that, um, uh, that they can always mm -hmm. rely on and 
that stands in as a reassuring fold foil to the United States. Canada is very lucky to have this, and it, it does benefit them in, in all kinds of ways, but it also does mean that they're misrepresented. And that at some level must cause some dissatisfaction. It should cause some dissatisfaction because not to be regarded as you truly are, even if you're regarded as somewhat better in certain circumstances than you truly are, is not a, is not a good place to be. But if I may, Nick, just before we continue, I want to go back to what you were saying about uh, Canada's scores in the Good Country Index and just repeat my standard health warning about the Good Country Index. It is not, doesn't claim to be, and couldn't possibly be a complete account of any country's contribution in any of those seven areas. It's just a prompt to help people discuss these things with the support of some facts. So when we say that Canada ranks uh, relatively high, for example, in planet and climate, that's just based on five indicators. Now, they're pretty carefully chosen indicators, but it's not and cannot be the whole story. And a lot of the really interesting things about, for example, Canada's performance on the climate front are not measured and not measurable, and they don't feed into it. And I've had um, in the past Canadian environmentalists getting in touch with me quite angry because I've ranked Canada too high in the planet and climate. And what they know about and what they're referring to is, for example, Canada's uh, behavior in diplomatic circles when it comes to climate change, for example. The fact that Canada often in the past has obstructed uh, international climate diplomacy. Now they're right, and it's very serious, but it's not measurable. And so it doesn't feature in the, the Good Country Index. What does feature is the stuff you can measure, which is CO2 emissions and uh, hazard, hazardous pesticides exports and things of that sort. So we shouldn't ever take it as a complete account of the country's performance, but the beginning of an examination of what that performance might include. The other thing, of course, to bear in mind is that because the Good Country Index contains 160 odd countries, the difference between first and 10th or even first and 20th place may not be statistically significant. Canada ranks pretty high. 28th, I agree with you, is, uh, well, it's in the second quartile. So that is... That was just 28th in science and technology. So it's in the second quartile in one of those indicators, but it's in the top quartile in pretty much everything else. So, And I think actually it's number four. Uh, so it, it's still doing pretty well, but there, there, there's, clearly weak, weakness, there's clearly weakness in there. I don't think it's what Canadians would wish mm. their, the, the indicators to show. It's not conforming to the, the, the role that they would want for themselves. I, I like what you were saying about Canada being useful to people, the image of Canada being useful. Mm. And I, I'm sure that's true with regard to the United States, that people need to have a balance mm. And I find as somebody resident in the United States that it's helpful to know that you can live on the North American continent and allow people access to firearms without Mm. having regular mass shootings. Mm. I I think it sort of reflects back to the existence of specific problems uh, in the the United States. I also think that there are some ongoing discussions in Canada which are of value to the rest of the world And I think it's particularly important right now, the debates within Canada over their own colonial heritage and Mm. treatment of indigenous people. Uh, And of course, we've had recently terrible news of a mass grave found at an indigenous uh, school uh, and really reminding the world how badly indigenous people were treated in Canada. 
as a, as a historian right now, I'm writing about South Africa and have been going through the work of people who were, were trying to promote uh, apartheid working for the South African government. And they were baffled in, in Canada that the Canadians thought that they were so benevolent towards indigenous people, because as far as they were concerned, exactly the same things were happening in South Africa that were happening in, in, in Canada. And they saw the native reservations as being exactly the same thing as the Bantu stands and yes. couldn't understand why the hypocrisy of Canada condemning South Africa uh, mm -hmm. and and not looking at themselves. And whilst I think that to use that as an argument for, well, the Canadians should have embraced apartheid, that's not what I'm getting at at all. What I'm getting at is that Canadians failed to see the company they were keeping yes. in, in terms of their domestic race and First Nations policies. And uh, it's overdue that they paid attention to that. I think this is a knock-on effect yes. of uh, other countries that are making the same, the same kind of going on the same kind of journey. New Zealand, Australia, yes. uh, even now Ch Chile, thinking yeah. about this. And, and it's very common indeed for countries, uh, when they're criticizing other countries, to fail to look at themselves and to see the parallels. But that's also a failure of international public opinion. I mentioned earlier that one of the reasons why Canada is so popular is because it's perceived as having been the victim or the subject of uh, colonial power rather than the perpetrator of it, because public opinion still lags behind on this as a general rule. And the majority of people um, around the world who respond uh, in the Nation Brands Index, they recognize the, the exercise of colonial power when it's overseas, when it's uh, Britain or France or Portugal um, invading um, countries in sub-Saharan Africa. But the equally terrible crimes perpetrated by some other countries upon the indigenous populations in their, within their own country tend to get overlooked. And that's partly also because people don't pay so much attention to the domestic affairs of countries. It's partly because they, on the whole, don't know very much about the history of other countries. And so you see Canada, like Australia, gets put in that box of being victim rather than perpetrator, not a nasty, brutal colonial power. But in fact, you could make the argument that it is. And so again, it's another instance of both of those countries somehow getting away with an image that in some respects they don't really deserve. So what can Canada do to, to, to deal with this? So, you know, from my point of view, I keep seeing risks to Canada's good reputation. I think about the way that conservative politics a kind of ugly kind of conservative politics plays in Ontario. Mm. Uh, remember Mayor Ford of um, of Toronto and his shenanigans. Mm. There seem to be a lot of risks, but what what can Canada do to to flesh out, to maintain, to continue its its positive reputation? Oh, so many things. Um, but whatever it does do, it shouldn't be doing it in order to uh, improve or to continue to deserve its reputation. Because I'm firmly of the belief that governments shouldn't worry about the image of their country, mm -hmm. uh, at least not when they're deciding on policy and strategy. The moment a country starts doing things because it wants to create a certain image of itself, it falls into various traps of uh, hypocrisy and illegitimacy and so forth. Yes. Countries should do things because they're the right things to do, right for their own people and for other people around the world, right for their own territory and right for the planet. The side effect of doing that is that you will earn a better image. 
But the moment I hear a government saying, we need to show people that we're not as blah, 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 as whatever we are, I start getting anxious. In just the same way as, you, as, as it makes one anxious if one hears a person worrying about their image. You know, if, if somebody starts saying, you know, do, do, do people have the right view of me? Am I wearing, wearing the right clothes? Am I using the right accent? Am I behaving in the right way? You think to yourself, this is a sad loser. Um, yes. Uh, with a serious lack of self-respect. And I think that's almost truer for countries than it is for, for, for people. So the simple answer to your question is, it shouldn't do anything deliberately for that reason. But if what we've said is true, and I think to some extent it is true, that um, Canada doesn't behave quite as well within the international community as people uh, imagine it does, or perhaps believe that it did in the past, it therefore needs to start doing more. And it has the power to do more. Canada has gigantic resources and gigantic influence over, for example, climate change. It's a very large country with a very large economy. There's so much it can do. It does a lot, but there's so much more that it could do. It could be a moral leader. And moral leaders is what the world needs right now. And I'm just, I'm astonished every day by the fact that fewer countries step up and take advantage of that opportunity because it would do them so much good, as well as doing everybody else a lot of good. And the strengths of Canada's image are really quite interesting. We said people, okay? So again, as a token of the kinds of populations and the kinds of countries that people admire these days, why do people like Canadians? Well, partly because they're not Americans, but partly also because there are these legends of Canadians being mild-mannered, even apologetic, kind, polite, and there's a great deal of truth in that, and that's what people like. They, the Canadian people rank pretty close, but somewhat below Australians. And for very similar reasons, good-natured, well-meaning, generally non-violent, and so on and so forth. The difference between Australians and Canadians is that the Australians have been were marketed to the world a very long time ago by a film called Crocodile Dundee, mm-hmm. which had taught the world an enormous amount. It was an extraordinarily successful movie. The Australians hate it because it's not quite true. But you know, they, they, they should consider themselves lucky that it was such a flattering portrait. And it showed the world an image of the Australian, which everybody absolutely adored and have never forgotten. Nothing of that sort has ever happened for the Canadians. It's the only difference between the two, quite honestly, that there never was a, um, a, um, a moose dundee. Mm-hmm. Moose the right animal? Caribbean. No, yeah, I, I guess there were those uh, Mountie films in the 1950s. But, um, yes. It might, might still be coasting on uh, a genre of Technicolor films. They did have lovely jackets. You they? mentioned also uh, perceptions of um, Canadian products. Yes, we can see that people assume that Canada has great exports. It's It was mm-hmm. like some, I think, number three, didn't we say, on the exports? Mm-hmm. And yet... It's way down in terms of science and technology. Yeah, well, this is the amusing thing. And again, there's a very close parallel there with Australia. We find exactly the same thing there, that when you ask people that that question, which is in the Nation Brands Index, if you bought a product uh, and discovered that it had come from this country, was made in Canada, made in Australia, would that make you think it was worth more than you paid for it, less than you paid for it, or around about the same? And almost everybody says, no matter how much I paid for that product, if I discovered it was made in Canada, I should have paid more for it. So added value. <laughs> of, That's uh, great. In effect. And as you rightly say, it's quite amusing because in both cases, there aren't any. There are no <laughs> I mean, they both have a national beer brand, but every two-bit country has a beer brand and an airline. 
Um, well, there was a, there was a, a black a BlackBerry and Bombardier airplanes, I suppose. But that's how many people know that? How many people know that? Yes. Well, Other than people... products beginning with B, there. Bombardier, in, in any in any case, is an industrial product, and nobody knows uh, anything about industrial products. Uh, BlackBerry wasn't particularly marketed as being Canadian, I suspect, because they felt that that would diminish. Uh, from the appeal of the product if people knew that it came from so, such an unexpected place. A little bit like Nokia um, never really wanting to unline the fact that it was Finnish and allowing people to carry on believing it was Japanese because that seemed to make more sense. That, I think they were wrong about that, but that's a whole other issue. To me, what this means is that it's, it's actually a, a, a rather hopeful sign for both Australia and Canada. It means that people would buy those products if they existed. And um, if that strong uh, country of origin effect is there already in place, then why aren't they doing more? The, Australia, the Australians have, uh, a number of Australian companies uh, have realized this opportunity. And there are some small fashion brands there that play on their Australianness. Those fluffy boots, Uggs mm -hmm. yes. brands being Australian, a few other uh, footwear brands and some cosmetic brands, you know, the Aussie shampoo and stuff yes, like that. That's right. And they, they do well from those associations with Aussiness because it's very attractive to very many people around the world. I can't understand why the governments of both countries don't pursue a good old fashioned uh, industrial strategy and start trying to stimulate branded exports that carry the image of the country because they would sell. And that's what the research clearly shows. Now, there's one thing we haven't talked about or one place we haven't talked about, and it, I think it's important, and that is Quebec and right. the issue of uh, what do you do when a province <laughs> sometimes doesn't want to, or for many people, doesn't want to be part of this wonderful country? Is mm -hmm. Quebec a risk to the Canadian brand? I, I think that Quebec does a tremendous amount to, to enhance Canada, the idea that you can have a province with a different language, with a contrasting history, which is actually a wonderful place to spend time. Canada does well to be able to incorporate a, a Quebec that is confident and, and comfortable with its own identity within Canada. But uh, wh wh what do you think about, about Quebec and how does that relate? How does it relate to the whole? Somebody once said to me, why do you like Canada so much, Simon? And I said, basically, because it's America with patisseries. <laughs> um, yes, that's right. And, and of course, that of course that's that's Quebec. I mean, Canada could do with a dose of a pluribus unum, couldn't it? It seems to have to be eluding the understanding of many Canadians that in richness and diversity lies uh, strength and, and beauty and appeal. People like that, and part of the reason why people uh, around the world like Canada is because they are aware, albeit dimly, that it's a multicultural society has been since its since its foundation and all of this is very important as i say it, it delivers cultural richness and in richness lies appeal i think it's an awful shame when countries and their uh, and their component regions become fissiparous and start trying to split up because the world doesn't need that kind of trouble right now we need to be hanging together and not splitting up into ever smaller particles that's not to diminish the justice of some causes. I do have some sympathy for what the Catalans and the Quebecois are trying to achieve. And I can understand, or the Scottish for that matter, if they feel crushed by the, uh, by, by the dominant nation, then of course that has to be addressed. But it doesn't necessarily have to be addressed by splitting up um, the nation. And I think it's a terrible shame when, when, when that happens. 
it's just a sign that the relationship has been badly managed for too long. And uh, mm. it's the same in families. When people start arguing, it means that, you know, you haven't been looking at your relationships. Um, you shouldn't allow it to get to that stage where it's where it's it's open squabbling. I'm sure they'll manage. I'm sure they'll manage. But you asked me whether whether that affects uh, Canada's international image. I think the answer is no, not really, for the simple reason that the the American continent, as I've often said, is a very large and very remote island, separated from the rest of the world by two huge oceans. And people in Europe and Asia and Africa and uh, and, and other parts of the world know astonishingly little about what goes on uh, in the Americas, even in North America. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, there are uh, provinces of, of Canada that are not happy members of the union is, is not going to be something that people are worrying about. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, that there's a good lesson in there, and that's that diversity is the strength of Canada. And the more they can do to uh, showcase a diverse society will... Uh, going forward is going to appeal to international audiences and it will deliver on the promise of the country in the first place. Yes. Well, what what that does is it makes the country a mirror of the real world that all of us live in today. Exactly. (laughs) And there's no no better way of creating a sense of relevance and thus of liking with the world's population than showing that you go through and valiantly try to tackle the same issues that everybody else is tackling. And, and, and there's no question that, that Canada has that in bucket loads. And in, in, in parts, it's quite successful. I, I'm, I remember reading that the, um, that the Chinese-born population in Vancouver is larger than, I can't even remember now what the comparison was, certain Chinese cities, and so on and so forth. And this is all good stuff. Um, this is what people really appreciate. And they look at Canada and they say, yep, that's a modern country in the modern world facing the same problems that we're facing back home here and coping with it with courage and imagination. And that's all you can ask a country to do. And when countries do do that, people like it. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks so much for listening. This has been People Places Power. I'm still Nick Cole. And I'm still Simon Anhold.